0: I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. We will finish up chapter 14 today, and we are on a journey to finish the Gospel of Mark before Father's Day. We'll start a brand new series called Summer Playlist during the summertime. So uh, we'll be asking you what your favorite sort of go-to summer song was growing up. Favorite playlist, and we're gonna be picking a couple different psalms through the summer, uh, knowing that there's a lot of people traveling. So, we'll have sort of um, you know uh, just a psalm each week that we'll be studying together uh, through the summertime. And so, Father's Day is always a great day to invite some dads out uh, the people that you know. We've got some goodies for them, and uh, we want to pray for them and celebrate um, all that, uh, that dads are in our lives. Um, Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. Today, we're talking about the path to denial. Uh, This is, if you've ever read through the Gospels, you read about Peter and his denying of Jesus. Uh, And certainly, I think that all of us can have a, a, a moment in our own lives where we have fallen, we've failed, we've stumbled, and just the bitterness of that failure, uh, we certainly can understand what Peter was going through at some level. We get this recorded for us so that we can learn from some of the things that Peter did, as well as the grace of God that was uh, given to Peter as God restored Peter, Jesus personally met with Peter after the resurrection, and then publicly he restored Peter so that everybody, uh, in fact, as many times as Peter uh, had denied the Lord, three times we'll read in our text this morning, uh, Jesus uh, gave him this full restitution uh, that Peter would be this faithful feeder of God's sheep as he would feed God's word to the people uh, after the resurrection. Uh, We've all experienced that personal failure. Have you, ever, have you ever said to yourself, I can't believe that I actually did, could do that? You ever just, you ever, you ever stumbled so much you just think, I never thought in a million years I could do that. And some things are big, some things maybe are smaller. I think we all know that, that feeling of personal failure. The things that we swore that we would never do or that we would never do again uh maybe even some of the questions like how can someone who like in Peter's case have such close fellowship with Jesus and fail so completely uh it, right after you know having this interaction and in his his walking with Jesus and knowing uh Jesus Uh, I read something that even this morning that said, with Jesus, failure is never final. And that's good news for us this morning. As we talk about Jesus' arrest and his trial, but also Peter's denial is sort of uh, woven through that. Uh, We contrast Peter's big failure, but Jesus' steadfastness in facing all the accusations, the beatings, the blows the mocking uh he he was able to do that because now he was he had already resolved the night before in prayer he had already won the victory something we talked about last sunday that he would resolve to drink the cup which represented that he would take on the sins of the world and absorb the wrath of god for the sins that all of us have committed uh jesus predicted earlier that evening that that when i'm arrested that you will all stumble and all flee away from me and, and Peter says, you know, no, I won't do it. The others chimed in. And then Jesus made another prediction. Peter, before a rooster crows twice tonight, you'll deny me three times. And he said, even if I have to die with you, I will not do that. And all said the same. It seemed like he was willing to die for the Lord when we read last week, when he picked up the sword, sleepy-eyed, and he swung it at the the high priest's servant and chopped off his ear instead of his head, and his ear dropped, and there's Peter ready to fight when it wasn't time to fight. Well, now Jesus has been bound up, and he's been taken to the high priest where he's going to be tried so that they, they might have an accusation against him so that they can finally put him to death. And this is where we find Peter's story of denial or his pathway to denial kind of unfold for us. Verse 53, Mark chapter 14, it says, and they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that was made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. As they're seeking to find, you know, accusations. They needed two or, you know, more, um, you know, testimonies, right, that, that they would be able to accuse Jesus and have him convicted, but their stories just didn't sync up. Uh, it's hard to have lies sort of sync up, right? If you've ever, uh, maybe you were in high school and you, you were getting to get in trouble and you talk to your friends and say, okay, you make sure you have your story right. When our parents interrogate us and your parents interrogate you, having three boys, uh, Tammy and I would have to separate them like a, the, uh, an episode of 48 Hours and it's like, okay, all right, Austin, exactly what happened here. Make sure that whatever he said matched up. We knew it was, you know, we didn't have ring. Wouldn't that have been Awesome. For those of you who've already raised your kids to have the ring video, seeing, <laughs> so see exactly what was going on, their, their stories couldn't come together. And then one st- stands up and says, oh, I heard him say something about the temple, that he would destroy this physical Herod's temple that had taken over 40 plus years to build. He'll destroy that temple and then he'll rebuild a temple without hands. Well, he was quoting Jesus in John chapter two, where Jesus was speaking of his own body, that his own body is the temple of God and that his body would, would, be, uh, would, would perish and in three days it would rise up, speaking about his resurrection. In the meantime, when all this is, happening. Jesus bound up, all these accusations flying. He's there before sort of the senate if you would of Israel at that time uh, and 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 just taking all these false accusations without even standing up for himself. And where's Peter? Well, he mustered up the courage to come back. Remember after he had cut off the ear of the high priest Uh, servant, Jesus, Luke's gospel says he healed the ear and then uh, uh, they all fled away. Well, Peter finally kind of maybe come to his senses, even though Jesus says he wasn't condemning them for fleeing. He just said, this is a matter of fact, tonight you will all leave me. He quoted a scripture out of Zechariah. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. And, And so Peter just musters up this internal strength. I told him I would die with him tonight if that's what was necessary. And so he sort of comes back but he's at a distance. He's not close to Jesus. And there he is by the fires, just sort of trying to blend in, if you would. And that's what's happening with him. Trying to make good on his word, recover his bravery, even though Jesus said they would all flee. That was part of Peter's mistake in this evening when he failed and denied the Lord. Now he's in the courtyard. The flames are lighting up his face as he warms himself. In the meantime, The high priest in verse 60, it says, and the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make what it is that is said that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated on the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, "What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision?" And they all condemned him as deserving death, and some began to spit on him and to cover his face and strike him saying, "Prophesy to us." And the guards received him with blows. You need to see this this like unfolding just go like, Peter's watching this take place. Uh, John is there in the Gospel of John. We read about that. And, they, and on all these religious leaders, they know that this is all fabricated and all a lie. Uh, later in the, the next morning, it's, um, it's Pilate who says that he, he knows that it's the religious leader's envy of Jesus's influence. And that's why they were actually asking him to be put to death uh, for a capital crime. And here they, you know, the high priest sort of gets flustered and says, you know, you have nothing to say, no answer to give? It's interesting, Isaiah prophesied of this very moment. In Isaiah 53, verse 7, it says, He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep is a silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Tell us, are you the Christ? Are you the son of God? This wasn't in order for him to go. We did, we're dying to know. We want to know. Jesus, are you the promised one? Because then we'll believe in you. They'd already determined that if he confessed that, as he had already said over and over through different times of teaching, that they were going to actually have enough evidence to have him put to death and executed. And Jesus says, I am. Use this. The statement uh, John's Gospel gives us seven "I am" statements. You know, it's it's the it's the same phrase that God, when Moses says, "Well, who should I say is sending me to the children of Israel to to bring them out of Egyptian slavery?" He says, "You tell them I am sent you." It's this self uh, existing one is what he was saying, and here Jesus uses the same language, and everybody their mouths dropped and said, "Oh, we got him! He's claiming to be." God himself. And then Jesus gave a confession and a warning. He says, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. The prophecies about his return to judge those that continued in stubborn unbelief and sin. Here they have him on trial To judge him and to condemn him. And yet, one day it'll be the other way around. And the high priests tore his clothes, right? It was a symbol of, like, I've heard utter blasphemy today. And, you know, out of, out of, out of just uh, uh, remorse and, you know, it was a sign of, 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 of sort of mourning and, and, and uh, recognizing something awful had just been done. They all condemn him as deserving death and they begin to mistreat him they begin to spit upon the son of god then they begin to cover his face and begin to beat him and mocking him saying hey who was it that hit you just then you know the, the human body is amazing you know when you uh if you grew up like i did i had three older brothers and then my best friend had three older brothers so you might imagine the uh, the punches that we received growing up and uh we got really good at dodging and hiding and you know, uh back in those uh, mansionette homes, like when your parents were gone and you know, you really just torqued off one of your siblings. You're like, okay, I gotta I gotta get out of the house, but I can't go out the front door, right? Cause they're there they are. So we go through the bathroom and then we would pull out the drawer because you know, you could shimmy those locks, and then you would put a, a towel between the the drawer and the door. Did anyone anyone else no one else did that? Like, you could lock yourself in, like, and nobody can get in. You're like, ah, oh, ha, ha, you good. You got that little toothpick and opened the door. And then I was, you know, just a tiny kid. I could shimmy out the little bathroom window, you know, like the really high one that just barely opened. And I'd go down to my buddy Travis's house until I'd hear my mom's car coming down the street after work. And then that's when it was safe to go home. I don't even know why I'm telling this story. What was this whole thing, the whole point about? Oh, punching. There we go punching. You know, you can roll with a punch. You see it coming your way. There's this thing called sucker punches that happens in our world. And this is what was happening to Jesus. He couldn't anticipate it. And he absorbed all of those blows. And you know, you've seen movies about, you know, the ones about like this, I don't know, kind of hippie surfer looking Jesus with a little daisy in his ear that has nothing to Jesus did not look like you know your 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 white hippie cousin, you know what I mean uh, and, uh, and and certainly didn 't have blue eyes like some of our grandparents had photographs painted of him you know growing up um, but in those movies, after he had been at this scene with with the high priest, and after he had gone to before Pilate, and after he'd gone before Herod, and all the soldiers mocking and beating him and and uh, and scourging him, uh, all of that, you know, when you see a movie like Passion of the Christ, and you just go like, oh, it's it's abhorrent what he looks like. The Bible prophesied about the way he would actually look uh, that you couldn't even. Identify him as a a human being. He'd been beaten so bad in his face, right? Isaiah 52 says, see, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. I want you to think about Peter in this moment. There's Peter far away from the one whom he's surrendered his life to as a disciple. He already believed at one point, and then he became a disciple of Jesus, and he left his fishing business and began to follow Jesus. He was there at the big moments with Jesus when he was transfigured before Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was there when Jesus raised up a young man's daughter who had passed away. He was there in the garden as he saw sweats, as it were, drops of blood coming from his forehead at Jesus' worst moment where he was trembling out of anxiety, almost like a panic attack, Described about what he was about to face, and now Peter's watching this one getting punched in the face, getting mocked, getting spit upon. Have you ever seen like that kind of behavior? We just go like, Are, "This is just inhumane. It's like ridiculous this kind of treatment." And Peter's still at a distance. Peter remembered this so vividly. He writes about it in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, he did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Peter knew that that night in prayer, Jesus had resolved, not my will, but your will be done. He had really, even as Peter writes, left his case in the hands of God. Jesus had already won the victory in prayer, surrendered to God's will to carry out the mission, to die for the sins of the world, including Peter's this night. And he was steadfast in the face of such hate and ugliness because he's relying on the strength that the Father had given him and promised him as he faced the cross. One so steadfast on the path to the cross, and here we see Peter on his path to denial just sort of falling apart. And I think there's some really great lessons for us to learn in Peter's uh, moment of, of personal failure. We read on, it says in verse 66, as the guards are receiving Jesus with blows, still getting punched as he's being carted away. It says, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. We'll just say she's like, 12 or 13, like a junior high girl and this big, strong fisherman. How does he respond? And and she says to him, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying. He he could have said no, but he he goes on. But you know that that's when there's lies going on, right? When when you just keep uh, talking. He says, no, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began to to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. There must have been some inflection in his voice. You ever met somebody from, like, Alabama, right? And they're like, man, you talk weird. And they're like, yeah, you guys talk weird in California. But can we agree, like, one is weird and one is normal, right? So Peter must have had some kind of inflection in his dialect. And they're like, your, your speech gives you away. Of course you're with him. and And, and Peter says but he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. This wasn't like, you know, they're bleeping out his words and that's why we don't see it. He began to actually bring down a curse on himself, like, like by God Almighty, I am telling you that I do not know this man. I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And this was that moment in time where he just thought to himself, I can't believe I just did that. And he broke down and he wept. Literally it says, and when he thought about it, he wept. He didn't even know it was happening. He didn't even see it coming. I remember doing a a, a service for a, uh, a gentleman down in Southern California, it's right? Probably about 2002, around 2002. Yeah, there was a a, a family that had uh, kind of attended our church there in Laguna Beach, um, and uh, this this uh, this man had been battling cancer, and, and finally he succumbed to it. And uh, and and he, their family had known another pastor that I had known about down in Southern California, and. Uh, And so we ended up doing the service like kind of tag team in the service together. And he was a guy that was like, I mean, he was like the just, you know, first round draft pick kind of pastor. If you guys can even like mentally get that picture, just had everything going for him. Great family, three kids, you know, uh, a growing booming church in a beach town. You know, I think it was like Huntington beach. And, uh, and and then I remember hearing the story about how he had uh, had an affair with you know somebody at the church you know a friend or something like that. Um, this is like twenty years ago. And nobody was watching. Nobody watches this service. So and I'm not I'm not giving names. I, I bring it up because we were talking before the service, and he goes, "Hey, I don't know if you know who I am." And I'm like, "Yeah, I've, I've kind of you know heard." You know, Christians share prayer requests like, "Hey, you should pray for so and so." Want to know what happened? Uh, <laughs> so, um, I think it's called—I think that's called gossip, like out in the real world, right? But it's a prayer request in the church. And uh, and he just broke down and just started weeping. And I'm like, "We got to pull it together, dude. We got to go out there in a few minutes." And honestly, man, I was teared up as he began to share with me about how, like, that, his fall. And he said, and I'll never forget the analogy he used. He said, Gordon, you know when you're on, I'm like, he knows my name. You know when you're on a slide and you're kind of teetering on, gravity pulling you, but it doesn't, it's just sort of like, you're just sort of hanging on. And then all of a sudden, gravity hits and pulls you down the slide, and the next thing you know, you're at the bottom. He says, that's exactly what happened to me. I thought I could handle it. I thought I could deal with a little flirtation and the, whatever the emotional experience was. And he says, and like that, my life had transformed and changed for the worse. Thank God. He understands God's grace. But he had repercussions that um, I would imagine still haunt him today. How could I get here? Peter's path to denial, it's it's meant to give us uh, like a warning and hope as well. Jesus had warned Peter before this night in Luke's gospel, chapter 22. He says, Peter, Satan has asked for you to sift you as wheat. And Jesus, what would you say? (laughs) And Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, right? I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. His faith didn't fail this night, but his courage did. There was another warning, Jesus says, as he was boasting in himself. He said, Lord, I'd admit to you that some of us might run tonight, but not me. I'm willing to die with you this evening. And Jesus gave him another warning. He says, before the rooster crows two times, you'll deny me three times. And that first little rooster crow, we read it there in the Gospel of Mark. You know those little rooster crows that come our way? That little reminder, right, of like, you you, you don't want to go in this direction. It might be a phone call from a friend. And it's just like, you know, and it would be really interesting if the, if your your ringtone was a rooster's crow. That would actually be really awesome, right? And that friend says, "Hey, can we have coffee? I'm just seeing some some change in sort of your priorities. I'm seeing some some behavior that doesn't, doesn't seem like you. You don't seem as um, as uh, excited about the things of the Lord. Is there something going on? And I don't mean like in a sin sniffing kind of a way. I just mean in a Hey, I'm concerned. Hey, your your wife reached out to my wife, and she has some concerns, right? You have a friend in high school that is just you know uh, on one year just on fire for the Lord and opening God's Word, and then you see this change in demeanor and trying to seek after to be sort of a part of the crowd that's accepted, and you just go like, Hey, you're gonna regret that. And like, can we? Can I? meet with you? Can we talk? Can we pray? Right? Those little warnings that come our way. Sometimes those warnings are our parents' voices in our head, right? Hey, you need to stay away from these areas. These are dangerous places to be. So Jesus uh, warns him before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me. He warned him also when he prayed. And, and, And there was Peter, he says, watch with me and pray. Jesus goes over and he prays. He comes back an hour later and says, Peter, could you not watch for one hour? One hour. And so, uh, he says, watch and pray, right? That you may not enter into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter, you have, you're no match for your flesh. You're no match. So pray. Peter's first mistake this evening was he's arguing with Jesus in the scriptures. He says, for the scriptures say, the shepherd will, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. And he says, nope. I know that that's what the prophecy says, but I'm going to tell you that prophecy is arguing with the Lord and arguing with God's word. And, and why was he arguing? Well, this is his first path to denial. Was number one, he's trusting in himself. He says, I won't deny you. In fact, I will die with you tonight. That is a sure step in the wrong direction if we're going to try to live life trusting in our own abilities and our own strength to fight off temptation and to fight off struggles and battles. I don't know why it is that we think we need to stand in our own strength and we don't need the Lord. I don't know what it is about human nature that says, like, you know what? Like, I'm, you know, from the planet Krypton, I think is where it is. You know, and I, I can, you know, I can, oh, there's a lot of people who have a weak faith, but I'm really strong. You know, others may struggle with weakness, but not me. <laughs> like, we just don't need the Lord. This is, a, this is a bad place to be as a follower of Christ, to be dependent, self-dependent when God calls us to be dependent upon him, right? You ever find yourself in a situation like, I I never thought I would be in this spot. Others, but not me. Because trying to do life on our own, it doesn't work. Paul writes to to the church in Philippi. He says in chapter 3, he's trying to describe to them, guys, like religious externals don't make you in close relationship with God. And he uses the image of circumcision saying, we are the ones who are a part of the real like um, markings of God in our life because we worship in the spirit. And then he says this line, and we put no confidence in our flesh, external things to actually make me religious and, and, to, and for our, and our sake, to make us strong. He's trusting in himself. Can I ask you to think about a battle right now that you're facing and you're trying to do it on your own? You're trying to navigate it in your own flesh. It might be a sinful habit that you are just saying, "Okay, this is going to be done. I'm never going to do this again. It's impossible to overcome these things, especially when they become rooted in our routine and fabric of our lives. We need the power of God's spirit and the help that he might bring through that time of prayer to help us get released and to get free, getting over a past hurt, uh, man, You you all know that like life is difficult, right? We face trauma in life. Uh, There's a lot of us that have, you know, the. uh, you ever go swimming and you try to hold a beach ball under the water and, you know, you could do it for a while and you're kind of like, oh, I think I got the balance. You know what I mean? Like it's a hoverboard or something like that. And all of a sudden you flip over, the beach ball goes flying through the air, right? Sometimes... In life, I've, I, I know that personally, I know that believers, it's like we try to hold on to that trauma like, you know what? I'll get past this. I'll you know, all muster up the strength to forgive. I'll muster up the strength to deal with this. Like it didn't really affect me like that much, you know what I mean? And then we misquote scripture like, you know, all things have become new. Uh, well, you still have trauma that you've got to work through and you try to do it in your own strength Man, you got to do what Jesus did the night before, surrender. God, you bring healing how you're going to bring healing. Something that maybe you're fighting through or a temptation that's lurking. And, 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 and other people can see it and, and, and the roosters are crowing saying, you're walking into a pathway that's going to be filled with destruction, right? Temptation is lurking all around, all around. And Satan is a patient hunter. First Peter 5, 8, right? He prowls about like a roaring lion. You know, I've never done a wedding where I met with a groom and said, hey, let's pray. Like, you know, are you excited? Like, yeah, I'm excited. But I think like five to seven years, I think I'm going to like sabotage this whole thing. and I'm going to blow my family up. And I'm probably going to, you know, do this and, and, and leave my wife. And, you know, I've never, I've never met one guy. I mean, I've met with more than one guy who sat at a coffee table, who that was his story, but never on the day of his wedding. You're know, like, hey, pastor, come over here. I just want to let you in on a secret. <laughs> That's never happened. It's like, I'm so excited. Oh, my gosh. Satan's patient. And I know I throw that illustration out about, you know, being committed as a marital partner. You insert the temptation that you face you know your greatest challenges right now. I know my greatest challenges right now. And so does Satan. And he will seek to exploit you like he does Peter as it's just getting set up. Peter is, uh, you know, here trusting in himself. Number two, His other path of denial was that he was sleeping earlier this evening when Jesus said he ought to be praying. In the garden, Jesus came back, found him asleep. Couldn't you not watch and pray for one hour? I know that your best day and your strongest day will be connected to when you set time aside to meet with God in prayer. I know your worst day and my worst day. When I don't see temptation coming and I don't see the struggles of life hitting me, there's T- times all of a sudden you just kind of get hit with a wave and you just sort of like, the whole world sucks, right? Does anyone else get like that? Me? Like, I'll call Tammy. She's like, you know, just go ride your little Honda monkey. It's my little motorcycle ride outside there, just in case you're wondering. I'm, I'm kind of like a Harley Davidson rider, basically, I guess. It's a little, never, I'll show it to you later. <laughs> it's kind of like, I can look back at those days of just weakness and yielding to pressures of life and frustrations and, um, outbursts of anger, right? Just like, just frustrated. So weird. I, I, I don't, as I'm, (laughs) Tammy's like, babe, you're becoming grumpy driver as you're getting older. She's like, you cannot do this when Addie's in the car. I'm like, no, Addie knows that they are stupid drivers everywhere because we talk about it when I pick her up on Friday mornings. Addie, look at that. No, I don't do that. And if my kids are watching, I don't give her sugar, and I don't ever say that. We find time for so many things. I, I know this week, I know last week, you may have stumbled, failed, personal, tripped up, right? And you were frustrated with yourself. I could promise you that if you sort of do the timeline, time with God's getting pushed off. It's minimal at best. And there's a strength that he wants to give us. I read a quote once, a life without prayer is like a tree without roots. Make time for it in your life. Open God's word. Spend time praying, asking God to bless those that you know have struggles right now. Asking God to give you wisdom to navigate well through life, to give you the heads up, the rooster crows. Lord, help me to be fully alive and awake as I navigate this week and have a close touch point with the Lord in prayer throughout your day. It might be a walk you go on. It might be quiet time at your kitchen table. You just got to find the time and make it a priority. Another reason why he stumbled this night is, number three, he followed at a distance. And you can't do that well. It's like either go there with Jesus and stand right by his side, Peter, if you're this brave, but to be this far away from Jesus, just a, a little bit of separation... He wasn't even supposed to be there at all that night. Jesus didn't condemn him for fleeing. But Peter had to muster up that strength and courage to say, nope, I gave my word. I will be here. And he tried to make good on his word. But he was distant from the Lord. That's a big problem. It's a great picture, if you would, of believers today just sort of trying to live life with a little distance from Jesus, trying to follow from afar if you've ever been in a long-distance relationship, you meet a girl at camp, and you're like, oh, we're going to get married. And you write her a letter, and then you go to the next year at camp. And then this isn't my personal experience. I didn't grow up going to camps and stuff. But you camp people, right? You're like, oh, my gosh. Right? All these high, ex-high school kids are laughing, right? Oh, man, I found the woman of my dreams, Lord, in my journal. And then the next night, oh, I found the other woman of my dreams the next night. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for very long, and it certainly doesn't work in our walks with the Lord, trying to keep, you know, sort of this enough of Jesus to feel safe, but enough of the world to still have a little fun. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you just kind of go, you know, I want to, I want to keep my foot with Jesus, but I also want to keep it on the other side of the fence with my friends, and I still want to do the things that make me, you know, have joy and but it's a miserable life. I, Tammy and I love getting phone calls from uh, ex students, college students that we've had influence in their life over the you know years and stuff, and uh, and and you know there's ones that they'll you know, gosh man, I can't believe what a. What a fool I was! And I can't believe that you. uh, Thank you for being. Tim just got a phone call this last couple weeks from a young girl said, "Thank you for not being judgmental, and you're so kind and gentle with my soul, as you were encouraging me to make healthy choices, and you know all the things that she was doing weren't healthy, and they certainly weren't reflective of a woman after God's heart. But now she's in this spot, man. She just got this beautiful walk with Jesus because she realized." I don't have any joy with Jesus because my foot's stuck in the world and I don't have any joy in the world because I got too much of Jesus in my life to enjoy that. The most miserable human in the world is the Christian that's still trying to live that old life in the world because it just, they can't find joy. Do you have friends that don't know Jesus and you go, how is it that you sleep at night the things that you do and get away with? They have no conviction. They're happy people. It's not going to go well, but you can't do it as a Christian. you got to stick close by Jesus. And then there's this last spot. He's in a place of compromise. He wasn't supposed to be here, warming himself at the enemy's fire. And then all of a sudden, the little flicker pops up. And the little girl, I don't know, one in the morning, two in the morning, three in the morning? Does, any farmers? Like, when is the rooster's crow? Does anyone know? Maybe it's four in the morning. And all of a sudden, she's like, you know what? You look like, you know, you look like one of the disciples. I've seen you around the temple with Jesus. And he's like, no, 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 no. wasn't me, and I don't know that man. And then she's like, goes over, starts, you know, Peter, can you, Peter's starting to feel it, like all of a sudden people are chatting, and there's all these circles gathering, like, oh, yeah, that's one of the disciples, that's one of the disciples. That's the dude who cut off Malchus's ear. And Peter's like, oh, no, no they're going to arrest me because I used you know, violence tonight and cut off some guy's ear. It was all healed. Don't worry. And then finally, another group, hey, you definitely were with him. He's in a place of compromise, warming himself at this fire. There's places that we shouldn't be as a follower of Jesus. And I don't mean like a physical place, although it might be a physical place for you. But it's a mental place that we get to, just a place of compromise, a compromise in our minds. And the Lord sends the little roosters that crow warnings. Hey, get your life out of this situation. It might be in a mental hole that you're in because you continue to feed negativity in your thought life. And all of a sudden, you're in this bad spot where you're making decisions out of emotion rather than like based on faith. Whatever that place is, God sends rooster warning saying, hey, remove your life from this spot. But this is the enemy's opportunity. He's got him where he wants him. He's trusting in himself. He hasn't been prayed up. He's trying to stay far enough away from Jesus to not be attached to him. And now he's in this place of compromise where he can't get out of there. I don't know him. And three times he denied Jesus. He was so caught up in it that he didn't even realize that he had already slid down The bottom of the slide. Paul writes about this. He says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow your temptation or the temptation to be more than you can handle or stand. But when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure it. That way out may be a phone call for a friend. Hey, come and hang out with us tonight instead of going in the direction that you were planning on going, it might be the form of, there's a door, like, get out of here. Get out of this place. If there's a relationship brewing that's an unhealthy emotional connection, if you are married here today, your spouse is the only legitimate source of emotional and physical intimacy. Right? Husbands and wives. And you go, well, this is just a really great friend. But everybody, including your spouse, is saying, yeah, it makes me kind of uncomfortable. Well, you delete the number, and you make healthy choices. How did he get here? Small, little compromises. How did our lives get into that place of, and this is major, right, denying the Lord three times? How does it happen? Man, small compromises lead to bigger ones. Can I ask you right now, is your life in a place of compromise? Are you following the Lord from a distance? Are you are you warming yourselves in areas that you used to go and, and 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 just to sort of fit in? Man, that's when we get set up for a big stumble. It is healthy for you to look yourself in the mirror and to say you are capable of even worse. Like I can, I can. You know, when you look at you ever. Oh, it's so terrible. Judging people and going, wow, their life is really lame. They've really screwed this up. You know what I mean? Like royally. And then you go, boy, I would never get in my life like in that spot. Be careful. (laughs) Be careful. The enemy is a patient hunter. And boy, given the right circumstances, I think there's a lot of bad we could do in life. Luke's gospel says that when the rooster crowed that second time, as Jesus is being carted away, Jesus looks over at Peter, and they caught eyes. Like, that was, can you imagine that moment as Peter's looking at Jesus going, did you hear that? You heard the rooster crow? And Jesus knew in that moment that Peter, you know, his face just bludgeoned, his his bloodshed, blood dripping down his cheeks. And then he looks over at Peter. And Peter remembered his word, you'll deny me three times. Peter was not aware of just how weak his flesh really was. And he remembered Jesus saying, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter, you need a moment-by-moment dependence upon the Lord. Can I ask you this? This week, maybe you failed life's test. Maybe you gave in to temptation. Maybe you've denied the Lord in some way through your words or your deeds. You feel frustrated. You feel shamed about your personal weakness. How could I? How could I get to that spot again? What was the look of Jesus? What do you think the look is when you and I fail? Is it like, I told you so, right? Was it? you weak, spineless loser. I'm about to go to the cross for losers like you. Was it, how could you, Peter? You know what I mean? I believe, well, that's what Satan would want us to think. I believe it was a look of tenderness, compassion. He understands our weaknesses, the Bible tells us. He's lived life, he's been tempted like us. He's just perfect, he never sinned. It wasn't a look of shame and how could you? It was a look of tenderness and compassion. And Peter, I know you blew it, but I still love you and I forgive you. After he rose, he told Mary, he says, go tell the others that I have risen and, and tell Peter also. You think it was like that? Hey, Peter, guess what? Guess who's alive again? The one you denied three days ago. <laughs> That's not what it was. It was, I still love you, Peter. And he restored him. And we don't know what that personal encounter was, but I imagine, you know, when, when Moses said, Lord, show me your presence. And and so he says, I'm going to let the, I'm going to pass by you, Moses. And, and then as I pass by, you'll be able to see the sort of the, the, the back end of my glory as my glory passes by you. And, 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 and as he passed by, he declared like his characteristics that he's long-suffering, that he's steadfast in love, that he's merciful. That's who God is. Peter's path to denial was trusting himself, wasn't prayerful, following at a distance and in a place of compromise. Can I just encourage you? Do a little processing today. Lord, is, is my life situated in a place where there's a, uh, an opportunity for me to stumble and fall coming up soon? Are there any warnings that you're trying to give to me? Is there anything that I need to adjust in my life? And maybe you have battled and struggled and stumbled and fall. Boy, isn't it the worst when you, when you say, Lord, I'm going to really try to, to be victorious in this area of my life, and then you mess up again, and you stumble again, Lord, I'm never going to say that. I'm never going to say it like that ever again. And then you do. I'm not going to stumble in this direction again. And then you do. Man, I want you to know that God's grace and mercy abounds. I love that song that we were singing earlier with Fuego. You know, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. His loving hand of conviction on our hearts When we stumble and fall, it's tenderness. If you walk through life feeling condemned, that's the voice of Satan. That's not the voice of God. The voice of God is is you're his child if you've believed in him. And he knows the struggles and he knows the stumblings. And you know what's so wonderful? He was willing to die on the cross for your sins and mine before you had a chance to sin once everything that's headed in your way all the sins that were ever going to continue to be amassed in my life and in your life that god will graciously forgive and help me overcome he already paid for those sins that verse about uh, in the song his love it's wider than horizons it comes from a passage in psalm 103 and I'm going to have Fuego come up and close us in a song of worship. And I'm going to read a couple of verses to you out Psalm 103. It's about God's grace and his mercy for us. And I love what David says. He says, he does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, for he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. That is your God. That is our God. That is his grace. That is his mercy. And though Peter stumbled big time, and certainly it's a lesson for us to avoid, man, God's grace was even greater in his life after he had stumbled and failed. And it wasn't his only time that he would stumble and fail as Paul calls them out later on in the book of Galatians. God's grace and mercy, my friend, will always be greater than your stumblings and your meanderings and your, gosh, I've, I I wandered off again, Lord. He's so gracious and he loves you so much. Let that be an encouragement to you. And this week, make knowing him a greater priority in your life, spending time with him, asking him to touch and bless those in need around you, asking him to guide you and lead you and speak to your heart as you open his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for once again for an opportunity, God, to gather here with uh, my friends, God, those who are watching online, those who will listen later. And Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for all the lessons that we learn from your word. God, we're grateful that we get to see uh, in, in, in sort of in slow motion, Peter heading towards the stumble. And Lord, we, we, we're, overwhelmed, God, when we look back and we see it in our own lives. But Lord, I thank you that your grace is always greater than our sin. I thank you that, Lord, your tender hands pick us back up. You remove our sin. You dust off our our feet and our hands and our arms from just tripping up through your loving kindness and your grace. My prayer, Lord, is that you help us to be aware to become more self-aware of the things that we're leaning in and trusting in and even in our own strength. And I pray, God, that you would, through your spirit, strengthen us with your power, as your word says, in our innermost being. That, Lord, the strength that we have to live life would not be self-generated, Lord. It would not be trying to muster up courage to face things that we're dealing with. But, Lord, to surrender to you and say, God, I can't do it, but through you I can. And Lord, that's always the case. And So Lord, strengthen us today. God, comfort those who are hurting this morning. God, give them the ability to know your loving hands all around them today. God, those that are facing uh, and dealing with and processing tragedy, God, would you comfort them and Lord, wrap your loving arms around them through your Holy Spirit and through your church. Lord, we are grateful. We're so thankful. For the blood of Jesus, we're so thankful that, Lord, you went to the cross for us, that we might be forgiven, that we we might have a relationship with you, and, God, that we might walk with you. Lord, help us to do that well this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen.